All good. So, this is the Bayou Dragon podcast. We have been working on this for a very long time. I'm Porter. This is Mitchell, and we are welcoming our first ever podcast guest on our first ever podcast, wildlife biologist Andrew Austin. Great to be here. I was excited that uh, Andrew came by today to join us on this podcast, our first one at that, and uh, happy to have you here today, man. Yep. We've uh, we've done a lot of hunting and fishing together, and it's, uh, it's great to return to the, the, the hometown crew, you know. Hampshire, Finette, Texas. Oh, yeah. A lot of good memories. Well, Andrew, me and him have done a lot of bass fishing among the years. One time it was so cold, I remember he literally got in the rod box and because it was freezing cold, he's like, man, fuck this. Got <laughs> in and hid until the fish started biting. Toledo yeah. Ben? Toledo Ben. What's the biggest fish you've ever caught, Andrew? Largemouth bass. Man, I've been bass fishing my whole life, but I still haven't hung a, a you know, a five plus. I think some people just have shit luck, you know? Um, yeah. I think that's just a reality. That's just part of it. Uh, five pounds, six pounds, maybe. That's Mitchell. Yeah. He has shit luck. Yeah, I do. I've caught a bunch of fish, but yeah. I have the same shit luck you have. Five and a half, I think, was my biggest one. And Porter over here catching all the hogs. Oh, yeah. I mean, this week I caught two over five. Just, <laughs> fucking, just fucking around in finette. Golly. But, uh, yeah, no, this is our first ever podcast. So, everybody tuning in on the actual podcast. We have TikTok Live over there. So, they get to hear it firsthand, no editing. So we're super pumped up, really excited to do this. So we just really want this podcast to be about talking about outdoors or what we do this weekend. What'd you do or what do you have any big plans traveling? You know, we all have a bunch of shit going on in our lives. Mitchell's building a house, so he's doing his own thing. Andrew's working in and out of Houston, Texas and working down at home, being a herpetologist and a biologist. I'm just a piece of shit, and I just <laughs> fish or hunt whenever I can. So, Yeah, me and Porter talked a lot about it, and we don't want to keep it just hunting, just fishing. We want to, you know, what's going on, what do we got going on, and uh, keep it interesting. So, Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? And, uh, you know, we go we go back a long way, so let's, let's talk about it a little bit. What do you do? And, uh, yeah, your podcast. And uh, First off, you know, <clears throat> my, my, my passion is the outdoors. You know, it's wildlife. Um, at a young age, I discovered I really liked wildlife. And, you know, that was through hunting and fishing, but also going out looking for snakes and stuff. And, you know, I kind of got Porter into that a little bit back in the day, back in high school. Yeah, you had a, a bit of an experience with a cottonmouth. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's my fault or not. We can talk about that later, but... I went ahead and studied wildlife biology. Um, wasn't wasn't much for school, but you know, I figured if I can grind it out, it could you know lead to a pretty cool life of working in the outdoors. And now I work for a an, uh, an environmental company and do a lot of wetland surveys and um, that sort of thing. And you know, I run a podcast myself. I spend a lot of time running around, hunting and fishing, looking for wildlife, um, just pursuing the great outdoors. It's pretty much it. Well, I mean today we called you to come help us with all this and your first deal is like yeah i'll be there in 30 minutes but i gotta take a picture of the snake yeah <laughs> like i started uh i'm doing a little snake project on my pro i just moved back home to finette texas best best uh 
best city in the world. Uh, and, and I live on a little bit of property and, and I want to know what kind of snakes are out there. So I, I, I set up a, it's called a drift fence trap. It's how, it's how a biologist surveys for snakes. And I caught my very first snake today and it was a big old rat snake, chicken snake is what most people know him as. But yeah, that's right. When y'all called me, I was, I was pulling it out of the trap, getting bit all over the place. We looked at each other and laughed. <laughs> I heard y'all laugh. Yeah. We looked yeah. at each other and laughed. Like, that well, sounds about right. Yeah. I was not surprised. It's like, Hey man, would you like to come have a steak dinner and do a podcast. Yeah, man, as soon as I catch the snake. Yeah. Well, we all knew growing up growing up through school that Andrew was going to work in the outdoors in one way or another. I mean, he was always outside, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Looking for snakes or uh, bass fishing or yeah, waterfowl I, hunting, one of the three. Me and Andrew, growing up, I felt honored that, like, I got him a little bit into bass fishing, like, you know, lake fishing, yeah. taking him on the boat, showing him – the works on that and he was showing me how to like he was catching snakes and i was watching and thinking that's cool as shit so i thought i could do it yeah but not as good <laughs> not as good since yeah i did get bit by a cotton mouth one time yeah that uh, was uh put you in the hospital for a few days huh yeah three days um what was cool was the doctor was like man however much alcohol and nicotine you're on it saved your life <laughs> Like, your blood flow is so slow right now. It's, like, three times slower than it's supposed to be. I was like, perfect. Like, so what, what have you had to drink? I was like, an 18-pack of Budweiser and a handle of Fireball. He's like, that saved your arm. Well, I remember coming to see you in the hospital, and they're like, yeah, Porter got he got bit on the pinky, right? Or was it on the... On no, the, index finger. It was on one of your fingers. I got bit on the finger. I was like, ah, you know, he's going to be fine. I pull up in that hospital and, and go in there. You're swole up to your elbow. <laughs> well, so I was with, Ta- I remember I was with Tanner and we were frogging during this whole deal. And there's people, you know, we're in a rice field. So there's like a big levee. I'm just walking through the water and everybody's like, oh, there's a snake right there. Catch it. Okay, cool. I caught it, successfully caught it, didn't get bit, threw it away. Then, of course, some girls, some females are like, man, I didn't get to see the snakes. So I went to grab it again. And just grabbed it wrong. Grabbed it, like, right by the tail. It turned around. Struck you right on the hand. Oh, dude, got me. And I was like, oh, no. This is not good. So, got in the car. I took a cold beer and just wrapped it around my hand with some duct tape. And just left it at that. (laughs) And I kept feeling it get tighter and tighter against that cold beer. And I call Andrew. And I was like, Andrew, hey, uh... You know, telling him the physical signs of it. And he goes, well, first off, is your hand swollen? I was like, it looks like a catcher's mitt. He's like, you're fucked. <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, man. So we left from there. Like, after a half hour, we left the rice field, went to Tanner's house. Like, I washed off. I had mud all the way up to my head because we caught a shit ton of frogs. Washed up. And when I came out, it was already halfway up my arm. And I was like, we got to go. Like, yesterday. We get there, and they are like, of course, you go to any hospital in America, they're like, you know, I'll write your name down, wait in line, and I'll just set my hand up there. And I was like, I got to go now. <laughs> and they just escorted me right then to the back. They're like, this guy's going to lose his arm. <laughs> oh, shit. So I wish I could have been there, Porter. I remember, um, the, I remember the phone call, and I was like, God. in most areas around southeast Texas, you know, water snakes, the non-venomous water snakes like you thought you were catching, yeah. they outnumber the cottonmouths 10 to 1. That's just the way it is around here. You, you see 10 broadband of water snakes before you see a cottonmouth. You know, most snakes you see in the water are not cottonmouths. So I was like, surely it was a water snake. 
man, when you told me your hand was swollen, I was like, fuck. He's done. <laughs> it was not, bad. It's not a death. You know, getting bit by a cottonmouth is not the end of the world. The last re- recorded death from a cottonmouth was like 30 years ago or something. Yeah. It, I wasn't really worried about dying, but, but I could have lost. It could lose. I, I have met snake people with missing fingers from cottonmouths, though. You yeah. can lose a finger. Yeah, they told me the alcohol saved me. And what yeah. was scary was I walked in that hospital. Me, t- like Tanner drove up. And you know how Tanner drives? Not slow. Ever. He pulls up Full going like a, 138 into the parking lot of the hospital, whips to the front, and I walk in, and I look over, and there's a guy that just got in a motorcycle wreck waiting in line. Like, I'm talking blood gushing out of his forehead, whatever. And I just look at him like, oh, hell no. Like, he'd been waiting there a minute, too, because there's blood drying on the floor. And I was like, y'all got to let me in, or I, I don't feel like losing a finger today or an <laughs> arm or die. But that was a, a very neat experience on my part. Yeah, we grew up catching frogs and doing stuff like that all the time. That was just a fuck up by Porter that night. But Yeah, I pooched. But, you know, moral of the story is, you know, I'm, I was always happy to get people into catching snakes because, you know, if you're an outdoorsman, you, you, you probably would enjoy catching snakes, but you need to know what species you're catching. Yeah. And don't get bit by the venomous ones because it'll ruin your weekend. Really, just don't do it drunk. And don't, uh, Alcohol does not go with venomous snakes. No. That's the, the other part. What also sure. these two do a lot of, and they can talk about it, is a lot of nuisance alligator hunting. Both of them are licensed in the state of Texas. I haven't caught one in a hot minute, but... um. Yeah, I am licensed in the state of Texas to catch nuisance alligators live. And um, I've caught, you know, a handful, uh, not, nothing crazy, but uh, Andrew's probably caught a lot more than me. I did it for two years. Um, I got permitted at, right when I turned 18. I got I got my license, and then I did it for two years. And then I probably caught about 30 alligators. I caught one. It was 11-6 in Rochelle in Texas. That was the biggest one. It took me two months. Um just me and one other dude out in the 100-acre lake. Quite a story catching that thing. Those are hard to catch. That big water. One rod and reel. Mm-hmm. This is a 400-pound animal. You know, 11-foot alligator is big. Almost 12-foot alligator is big. One kayak, one rod and reel. We got it We got it somehow. But um, caught one a little over 10. Yeah, it's a good time. I, I haven't caught alligators in a while. I, you know, I went off to school and stuff and wasted my time there and <laughs> didn't catch any alligators over the past couple of years. But... Mitchell and I, we, we did the alligator wrestling competition together, and we kicked ass. Yeah, Gator Country used oh, to yeah. host. They, they can't do it anymore, liability reasons. But uh, they used to host a um, alligator competition every year, and you would catch hot, um, untaped hot alligators, uh, different scenarios, different situations. But it was really cool. It was, a, it was a blast, man. Adrenaline rush and a blast. You had some pretty awesome catches during that. And they weren't just small gators. Like, six, I six always – I mean, To me, the worst size is six foot, and that's what the size well, we were catching. A lot faster. Because they're fast. Yeah. They get, they're big enough. They got the bite pressure. Their teeth are still sharp because it's – like, when they get over eight feet, their teeth kind of dole out a little bit. This is the worst size possible. Age. To get bit by a six-footer is way worse than to get bit by a ten-footer, in my We saw view. some bites during that competition. Oh, yeah. Bad bites. Bad bites. Horrifying bites. Yeah, but it was, it was a fun time, man, for sure. I, yeah. I look back on those memories. I'll never forget them. I cherish I, them. I cherish one them. One of my favorite stories with Andrew was the very first time I brought him up to the lake. Me, Mitch, Andrew, and we're on the way up there. And this is – Andrew, you're a year younger than us, right? Two. Two, Two years, years younger than us. 
but like we're heading to the lake and he's like dude i would love to catch an alligator snapping turtle and it's like I was like, dude, we might see one, you know, whatever. Well, we end up running like two, three trot lines. We have 50 jug lines out. And, of course, the first full day we have, we're going by one of our trot lines, and you see this behemoth. It looks like a damn lazy boy floating in the water. And Andrew, remember how pumped up he was? He's Andrew's so passionate about anything to do with reptilians or amphibians. or amphibians. And when that alligator snap internal surfaced he uh i can't explain it he was so the excited. excitement <laughs> he grabbed that thing and just I don't started know how pulling it in my boat trying to pull it into the what boat. i did it took I, two of us to get it in the boat huh well <clears throat> y'all pulled me in the turtle in all i remember was we're we're trolling through was a, i can't remember the cove whatever it was or in Palagacho Bayou. bayou that's what it was i remember seeing a a tail flailing around in the water i was like what the fuck is that like an otter or something out in the middle of the damn cove. And then I saw the spikes on their shell and I was like, holy shit, that's a fucking alligator snapping turtle. <laughs> and you've been, I grabbed, we didn't, I didn't know it was on our trot line. In fact, I don't even know if it was our trot line. I felt like it may have just been a random trot line. I can't remember that well, but I grabbed a, I grabbed a rod and reel, had a rattle trap on it and I fucking slung it out there and I snagged it because I thought it was just out in the water. I didn't know it was on a trot line. So I snagged it on the neck with my, with that rattle trap. And then we reeled up to it, and it, you know, it was on the trot line. But and then I grabbed it, and it was you know an eighty pound turtle. And so y'all, I couldn't get it over the over the bow of the boat. So y'all had to pull me in. And it was with the, the turtle. It was that that really is you know I I you know I've gone down to Belize, done croc research, done some cool stuff with wildlife. That first alligator snapping turtle is up there on my coolest experiences, and and yep. and it was on Toledo Bend Reservoir, right there in East Texas. We yeah. got a picture of that turtle too. Oh, yeah, so, man, it, it was badass. That was that, badass. Uh, and we did, you know, for the people listening, we did release it. Right. We yeah. took photo, you know. All, those are dinosaurs. Yeah. So, and that's, I've caught two like that. One of them, I was running jug lines one time, and I had like a six-inch noodle. And I've it was me and my wife and old Delaney. And <laughs> I was she was on the back of the boat. I'm running the trolling motor just picking up noodles. And this one just, like, goes underwater for like 30, 40 seconds. I'm like, we got a slaunch on the line comes back up. I go to grab it. And I grab it and it just pulls right out of my hand. I was like, Oh shit, this is a Leviathan. Yeah. <laughs> and them things get big, man. Oh, well I still thinking it's a catfish. I grab it like by the string and I get it up and that son of a bitch comes up. And that was that one I posted on Instagram. It was over a hundred pounds. Easy. That was back in the day. Oh no, you're talking about Delaney's catch. Yeah. Delaney's. Wait, how that was on Toledo Bend. Was this? On Toledo Bend right by where we caught that other one. There's a bunch of alligator snappers in there. Yeah, no, I've seen probably three or four, but I got that one in the boat, and I had to make her drive the boat back because I had to sit on it, and it would stand up with me. And I'm like, <laughs> like, babe. And I took yeah. a piece of three-inch PVC pipe. Like, you know, I was like, just look how strong this is, and it just. Yeah. And Andrew can tell you how hard they bite down, I'm sure. Man, I helped a buddy, uh, Dr. Mark Merchant from McNeese, McNeese State University. He did an actual study. I never actually looked at his paper, but – they bite hard, and I know another person in the academic world that that from SFA, a grad student, he caught one last year in East Texas, 140 pounds. He actually weighed it, so they get big. Yeah, I at 140 pounds, they're probably biting down with a, you know a thousand psi. I wish I would have weighed that one, yeah. but that was when Toledo had a bunch of grass. So when I released it, all the lilies just parted like the <laughs> Red Sea, and I was like, "That is a and it's probably like guaranteed it's still alive today." And yeah. I keep seeing 
them out there. And I've caught uh, me and Tanner were fishing out there like two years ago, and I throw a wacky worm up on the bank, and I just start running, set the hook. I was like, oh, we got a, a for sure enough bass on. And then I was like, oh, no, that's a catfish because the way it was – it came off the ground and it kind of started swirling. Ended up being like a 25, 30 pound alligator snapper. Dude, <laughs> I've never heard of someone catch one while bass fishing I've, with the soft plastic. I caught it on a wacky worm. That is interesting. That, that, that for, 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 for a reptile nerd like me, that is weird to think about. Yeah. It, it's uh, hilarious that I've caught, I've caught two bass fishing and three on either trot line or jug line. I caught one in Taylor's Bayou one time with Damon. Golly. On drugs? On jugs. Yeah. It was just, he grabbed it, and of course, this human is like 6'8", 270 pounds. He's a large unit. He just yeah. picks it up and makes it look like it's tiny, but it's a 20-plus yeah. pound turtle, and he's just like, yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, that's a slaunch. It's one of those species, you know, that in Louisiana, they still harvest them, and they, they're good to eat. Um, I just couldn't. But here in them. Texas, they're so rare now because just – Poaching. pollution and po- yeah. yeah you know shit like that and but just to see one is cool you know just to see an alligator snapper if you like to hunt and fish you know that's just improving the out the outdoor experience you know catching it's just a, cool catching a literal dinosaur that, that and that you know if you catch one over 50 pounds that thing might be 80 years old you know 100 yeah. years old 200 years old i don't know i've got an interesting question for you andrew All right. you do a lot of studies in in uh, different vegetations and different yep. you know crops and everything so my question to you is we're all big waterfowl hunters we we've grew up hunting ducks and geese and we love it so it seems as though the past several years of waterfowl hunting here in southeast texas have been absolute shit can do you have any explanation for that is there a pattern that you're seeing in the past couple years is there something they're doing differently up north i am not a i am not a uh, authority on waterfowl, you know, uh, management and, and behavior, but I have listened to, uh, the meat eater podcast and they, they had a, they had someone that keeps up with the, the waterfowl migra- migration and, and, you know, duck, duck hunting in general. Um, my understanding is the last couple of years ha- have been really bad where ducks breed in North America, which is the prey potholes up in North Dakota, South Dakota, into Canada. There's a whole region out there. It's prairie, but there's there's pothole wetlands scattering throughout the landscape. And these, they're small wetlands. You know, they, they could be, you know, a half acre big, you know, tiny little wetlands. But that that is the, the breeding grounds for all of our ducks. And they've been bone dry for the past two years. Just been a, a, a droughty couple of years up there. And, and when they're not producing, you know, babies up there, that is going to reduce our duck numbers. And so that's my understanding is our lower numbers of ducks is related to the bad hatch in the prey potholes over the past. You don't think it has anything to do with the way people are now managing their land up north, up North Dakota, South Dakota, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Montana. All these, the waterfowl hunting is becoming more popular. So more, I, I mean, in my opinion and what I've seen more and more people are managing their land to attract waterfowl hunters. They're running more and more guide services are popping up. So are the ducks just not coming down here? Or I mean, there could be, there could be something to that. You know, most, most wildlife, you know, situations like this, it's, it's, it's a, uh, there's, there's multiple things that there's multiple variables, you know, there's, there's so many things that can be affecting waterfowl 
numbers and movement. But I do know the 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 hatch, the waterfowl hatch over the past couple of years has been really low. And they, they, they do keep data on that. And they, they know that duck numbers are down right now because it's been so dry. Those potholes, those wetlands have been dry the past two years. Um, and so they can't, you know, they can't reproduce in those conditions. And so we're going to have less ducks. Um, you know, it, it, those, those areas up north that are, that are getting more uh, management for ducks that, you know, maybe they're attracting more ducks. That doesn't really matter when it gets cold enough and those ponds freeze up, freeze over, they, they got to come down. You know, they, they can't have, stick around. I have seen it though. Like in they, Montana firsthand, they bring out those big, they warm the water, those heaters, right? Like those literal jet engine they put yeah. up by a pond and, you know, and that is good yeah. for the birds that don't do come down. Like, you know, they don't move, migrate down here. They stay up there and they have water to hang out right. on and they're not just roosting in just right. dry fields. But I do think that has a big deal good with us being so far south on the coast. Right. But also, I mean, they could just be bypassing us and staying with the the food right. going down to Mexico. I mean, if I was a duck, I'd be sitting on the <laughs> beach. I would go straight to Mexico to yeah. if I were a duck. And a lot of ducks do go there. We, a lot of our ducks go straight down all the way to Mexico. Some of the best duck hunting in the world is in Mexico and down into South Ar- America. Argentina. Argentina. Uh, their duck season just opened up this week, and they're slaughtering Silver teal and white cheek pintail and speckled teal ducks you never imagined exist. Yeah, oh, it's crazy the duck numbers down there. One of our buddies, old Joe, a part of the group, his father-in-law goes down there quite a bit, and he has mounts of every single, you know, red spoonies, white cheek pintails, the yellow bill or yellow beak pintails or what? They have like six different the, pintails down the, there. Uh, the poacher, uh, the red billed poacher or whatever. Yellow, uh, or I don't know. They kill a lot down there. And well, the, well, I'll tell you, one thing that I really want to start doing and that we've kind of already started, Porter went to Montana last year, but we want to start doing a lot more traveling for uh, for hunting waterfowl because down here in southeast Texas, I mean, there it's a limited area where you actually are successful. you got to go up north, man, to, to really put a hurting on them. I mean – you know, Oklahoma is right there, but you have South Dakota, North Dakota, uh, Kansas, and then even up further than that, Montana. I mean, Montana, Canada, you could literally slaughter them all year round. People are hunting ducks in two and a half foot of snow. It's like, it's ridiculous. Ow. Yeah, but I mean, this area holds, I mean, I believe some of the most diehard duck hunters, though, for how shitty the conditions are. I mean, these people out here that hunt the marsh are, they're diehards. Yeah, man. they're horny for it. They're very <laughs> horny for it. But, I mean, we did the same thing in high school, and we still do it. Uh, but it's just it's so much better up north. Yeah, so this is our first ever episode. Technically, we've done some practice rounds, but now it's it's game time. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, um. I wanted to, uh, you know, y'all, y'all kind of asked me a couple of questions how I got into this stuff, and you know, how, how did how did Mitch McCall and Porter May find each other and then get into the outdoors? Because it, it led up to this moment now where y'all have Bayou Dragons, but this was a big buildup, you know. Well, yeah. So me and Mitch, we were the, I guess the original of the friend group. We became friends, and when we were four to five years old, kindergarten, met on the playground, hung out, and. Just over the years, we hung out together, did a lot of outdoor shit. From it's like, hey, let's go climb the neighbor's tree to let's go swim the ditches, go out on the bayou, 
and then we became friends with Tanner, the other guy in the group who is a little bit older than us. So like he had a boat and a truck before we did. So we started doing running jug lines and shit like that. But like me being a part of the group, I've had the lake cabin. My grandfather and grandmother bought this lake house 20 or actually probably 30 years ago now. So like right before I was born, we had the lake house. So I grew up bass fishing, crappie fishing, cat fishing, and kind of got Mitchell and into doing that with me. Tanner had been doing a little bit on the bayou, but he started bass fishing with me. Joe, he started bass fishing more with me. Started bringing Andrew back in the day, back in early high school. So right. that was kind of our origin. But like in eighth grade, I remember Mitch asked, or, you know, just kids. He's like, dude, we should make a name for ourselves, like our hunting group. And it was like, it was like, eh, whatever. Like, we're like, okay, like, sure, fuck it. And so for weeks, we're sitting there, this, you know, Southern Marsh boys or the 409 tech, you know, whatever. And there's all those kind of people out there and, you know, good luck to them. And one day, I think Mitchell, I really want to say Mitchell had came up with the name. I don't remember if it was me or not, to be honest. It was so long ago. It was. But it stuck good and it's hung with us. It hung with us all through high school. Like everyone, I mean, most of the people knew that we called our group the Bayou Dragons. Yeah. I just remember Mitchell walking up, and I'm I'm sure I'm like 98 percent sure you walked up and you're like Bayou Dragons. I was like, that is hilarious. I love that. So we joked around with it, and we actually started Instagram back in eighth grade, but that was before social media was what it is now. I was we were taking photos on flip phones. I had to go to a, like take the SD card out, put it in a computer, post some bullshit low quality what what like 420 or something pixelated photos and we thought we were doing good because we had like a thousand followers at the time you know when we were 13 and 14 years old and then about almost two years ago mitchell had brought it up to the group again me tanner mitch joe and was like we need to bring back the bayou dragons we see people doing this kind of thing posting cool videos and making cool content and apparel Oh, I, my thought was if they can do it, we can do it, and we can do it even better, you know? Yeah. I mean. And we did. I think we for, for how short we've been doing it again and actually taking it serious, I think we've grown exponentially over the last year and a half. I mean, we're at 330. 330 on TikTok and then 30, 30 point change Yeah, 30.8 thousand on Instagram. Facebook, you know, a couple thousand on Facebook. YouTube, we haven't even done nothing with YouTube. This will be kind of what we – use the YouTube for, but we have 3,000 followers on that. So I want to, I want to bring the podcast to YouTube. I think it'll be good for it for sure. I think people want to watch, like to be more interactive. Yeah. I mean, you want to watch, I mean, I enjoy listening to a podcast. Don't get me wrong, but it's cool to sit down and like, you know, if you're just on your phone messing around, watch the damn thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, people like me, I'm using my hands talking about catching a fish. It's yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's cool to hear the origin story of Bayou Dragons, and and you know I was I was a candidate to be a Bayou Dragon. The problem was, and I went out with y'all quite a bit early high school. You know, went on the Bayou. I remember y'all 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 posted me one time on the on the Instagram. I had a big old plain bellied water snake, and I felt I kind of started to feel like I was I was getting in the in the in the circle, you know. But y'all never brought me to the levee 
out in the McFadden Marsh. So it was McFadden Marsh. Actually, official. Everybody from Southeast Texas, go hunt the McFadden Marsh. It's great. Just go hunt it. Go hunt McFadden Central Unit. Yeah, go hunt it because the best spot to hunt. Yeah, y'all go hunt that. But the levee was like the used to be the best thing around. It was the no one knew about it until people. That's how any good spot gets ruined. You know, people start bringing more people. I could name names. I'm not going to, but uh, you know. It got ruined, and uh, now you can't even hunt because so many people do. Yeah. That was our – when we were dick hard for it when we were kids, it was Friday night football games, finish playing football, drive out there, 10 o'clock at night, 10.30 at night, and camp out on the levee, bring some smoked sausage, stay till f- like 4 a.m. You can't go into the marsh until 4, so then it's like, all right, everybody load up, go out there, massacre ducks or skunk either one and you usually did pretty good out there i i used i used to not remember not limiting out on ducks and now it's like okay you're gonna not shoot ducks probably 10 hunts out of the year i think some of my best memories are from that mcfadden marsh oh, that. staying out there all night and now, what were we smoking on? Some Swisher Sweet cigars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some, some cheap gas station cigars. Just, oh, yeah. Or no, <laughs> some uh, black and mild black, wine wood tips. Black and mild wine wood tip, thinking we were badass, you know, in high school, smoking cigars and hanging out on the levee and going in and slamming my, some birds. One of my favorite hunts out there, we shot a five-man limit one time in, like, no shit, probably 15 minutes. But we're out there on the levee, and it's, like, 11 at night, and a random, like, we're looking at our phone, and this is also before social, like the phones were they now were now. Look at the weather channel. It's like, oh, there's just like a little shower tonight. Ended up being like a full blown northerner came through, and none of us brought any kind of like wet gear. Nothing. No one had. Ready. Nobody was wearing Sitka gear back in the day either. Nope, Sitka wasn't a thing. <laughs> and I would, I still don't have it because I don't have the money, but. I got so wet, I stripped down to my underwear on the levee just to stay warm. And we got out there, I'm just shaking. Like, everybody else kind of was able to stay dry. I got so wet, I got in my underwear. And sorry for all the people on the levee that were there witnessing that. But we got out there, and as soon as, like, shooting time came, you know, you get warmed up as soon as you start shooting. It's like 15 minutes later, it's like, all right, we can go. Oh, that was fast. Yeah, he stripped of all clothing on the uh, on the levee that night, and... You know, that's one of those memories that I'll never forget. You know, one of my good buddies got sopping wet. He stripped of all clothing on the levee. Of course, he had his underwear on, but that's, how, <laughs> that's what he had to do. His All his clothing absorbed all that moisture from the from the rain, and uh, it's just something he had to do to keep warm. That, I don't know why I'm surprised you had your underwear on. Porter, you're pretty infamous, you know, for going in the nude. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Most of the people that are actually going to watch this will be like, I've seen him naked. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry again, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, what about also go? Remember that time? Were you in the boat that time we went to McFadden and the that crew boat flew by us and threw up like that five foot wave and almost sunk us? Yeah, we it, were we were dumb back then, man. We didn't have lights say. on and we're just rolling and this boat flies by us and it it was one of those big crew boats comes by us we're like. Damn, we didn't even see that. Like, we almost <laughs> nosed into it. It looked like a yacht. <laughs> yeah. So, we're like, we're still going, and then the wave comes back. Like, it's like 200 yards behind it. It just hits us. The wave was over the front of the boat by at least two and a half to three feet. This, I'm talking. The only reason that boat didn't sink is because Tanner 
turned into the wave and hit it straight on, and we all got soaked. But if he wouldn't have turned uh, straight into that wave, that we might have sunk. Rolled, it, no, it hundred percent would have rolled that boat. Jeez, but that was a scare. And but we get out there, and I think that was one of the ones that we ended up limiting out. You know, and freezing cold and miserable, but we still limit out because we were all all soaked. Well, that's part of the experience of duck hunting Southeast Texas. You know, most of the spots you go to, you got to launch in the intercoastal. You're you're weaving in and out of barges, and yeah. then you get into the marsh. And then you're, you know, there's other other mud boats around, and there's tight corners, and I mean, half the damn experience is getting to the spot in the yep. marsh. Well, and what down here people don't realize, and that's like northerner states, even just anyone outside of Texas or the Gulf Coast, like we have all our waters tidal. Yeah. So, like people just go to a lake or a pond or something like that to hunt. They don't have to worry that there's not water. It's like we might get out there, and it's like, oh, we're hunting mud today yeah, yeah. Well, you got to keep an eye on all that with the title which we really don't as much as we should but no you know most of the time we're like hey, you want to hunt saturday oh, let's go you know, uh, we'll check the report on the way yeah and yeah. it's if like okay. check it at all well you're going hunting no matter what we'll figure it out when you get out there right. yeah no there'll you be know. some water somewhere but it's there, like there, there's some there's some isolated ponds that are you know you can yeah that are good backups but well it's like yeah you can go to middleton or somewhere like that that might be some bullshit hunting but oh yeah <laughs> most of the time well you go to like mud bayou or something like that and you go to pond one and there ain't water at all out there and you're like right oh shit we gotta now you have 38 people trying to find five acres of water that sounded beautiful it did didn't it, it sounded good on the audio <laughs> <laughs> oh man but so you graduated from a&m andrew yeah i don't i don't consider myself a part of the aggie cult though well, yeah, I, I just went there because they have a good wildlife program. Well, you're not a nut. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't even have an Aggie ring. Good. You know. <laughs> I hate it. I don't know why. I hate it. When it's you, weird you take a picture of an Aggie and they go like this. <laughs> Thumbs up. And they, you know, like, why do you do that? Just stop. And I mean, we're probably going to get a bunch of like, man, we're well, Aggie. I, have <laughs> I mean, an Aggie. Like, I'm A&M cool. is I mean, a fantastic school. And no, I, no doubt. You know, I had no a doubt. great experience there, but I'm just not into like uh, – traditions and shit I, like that I, I don't know i just i went there and got my degree and i appreciated the experience are Great you gonna make people. your kids go there no okay only reason i went there is because it just happens to be the case that they have the best wildlife program in the state you know that that that's true best engineering program probably too but no, Lamar has um, a good one. Uh, Lamar's up there for chemicals in the chem- top chemical they have engineering, a great right Lamar university man. Lamar, it really is yeah and but and if no one knows so down here we have a nice uh, Division One college called Lamar University. Y'all should look it up. We're <laughs> fantastic. Right? Oh yeah, LU. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I said earlier. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not, I was never really cut out for school. I think I graduated in the bottom ten percent of my class. But C's get. You know, degrees. if uh, anybody out there listening that you know kind of sucks at school, but you know you want to, you know, get a wildlife job. You know, you, you can grind it out and make it through. It just it sucks. But work ethic, man. And it now was hard, it was hard ass work getting through that program. I'm not gonna lie, that shit was hard. Yeah, it was worth it for me. So, like, what do you do now? Like, what is your job for say? We help, we help companies like oil and gas companies, uh, TxDOT, you know, Department of Transportation. We help them through the environmental process. You know, when they're gonna make it, when they're gonna start a new project, they got to get environmental permits. So I go out there, I, I survey land, you know, I'm down in South Texas 
hiking through the King Ranch because a pipeline's going through there or something. It's pretty cool, you know. I get to see some cool sites. Um, I get to survey cool lands, cool wildlife. Um, so that you know, that's pretty much it. It's it's not as fancy, you know, like the stuff I used to do working with Crocs and stuff. I'd get to travel around, going to Belize and doing research and all that. Um, but you can't really make any money doing that, you know. If you want to make money, you got to get into the oil and gas side of things, especially in Texas. Exactly. That's uh, that's one thing people and. I guess this will help people know that like this ain't what we do right now, at least what we do full time. Each one of us, like me, Mitch, Tanner, Joe, we all work in the oil and gas field. We work shift work. We do this. So, like I get a bunch of emails or Instagram messages saying like, Hey man, this order this, or when are y'all going to get this? And like, it's like, you know, as fast as we can, that's always, my, as soon as we can, we will have whatever we ha- like can get. And we try to work as efficient as possible, but we a try lot to of people don't understand that we work like a lot. Yeah. And uh, work 12 hour shifts, you know, um, shift work. So, you know, when we get our time off, we run the Bayou Dragons and we try to do it the best we can. And, um, you know, a lot of people just don't understand that, yeah. that we have a job outside of the Bayou Dragons. Yeah, that's also another, I wish, like, we get multiple messages a week saying, how do I work for y'all? It's like, dude, I wish I could hire everyone that wants to do this yeah but i'm not making money i haven't made a dime off of any of this no, i haven't made one cent i do get a free hat every now and then but i know the owner so <laughs> that's the my perks is i get a hat and maybe a shirt but hopefully yeah. all you know, the profit that we make is reinvested back into making nice apparel for the masses good apparel and good you know good quality stuff we have not drawn a single dollar None of us have, except for, you know, different equipment we need to do different things, but it's not, we haven't profited anything from it yet. I do hope to see y'all, you know, five years down the road doing this full time. I think that'd be really cool. It I'd would like, be badass. That'd be, for, like that'd that, be pretty that'd cool. Be badass. I'd like to do it before then. I like, I'd I say five, you know, I'm just, I'm just being conservative, you know. Yeah. I'd like to do this before I'm 30. Right. Which is two, three years from now. Less than three years away, but yeah. I would like to make this our full-time job and the way everybody's reacting to us and the people that are being very supportive and buying our apparel and being really supportive on all social media platforms is helping us be able to do this and to be able to put out content for them. And I love that people enjoy just a bunch of dudes doing what they like to do. So they live vicariously through us, through social media. And and I'm not going to try to stroke y'all's ego, but it's very genuine, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of outdoor brands out there that, you know, it was a bunch of city slickers that were like, man, let's, let's start duck hunting and post fancy pictures and let's grow a huge Instagram. Y'all live and breathe this shit and y'all aren't trying to put out a persona. Y'all are fucking the real deal. Sets us apart from all these other brands. In my opinion is that we're out there fucking doing the shit. You know, we're not just, we're not just making shirts with, you know, depicting different, things that we don't do we we live and breathe this shit you know what i mean and like our mascot basically the alligator like we have a very strong alligator background my uncle was the biggest alligator one of the first actually like the first alligator processor in the state of texas who made it big and you know did everything from the hides meats hunting all that and started a whole network of businesses around what he started 
and then we all got into it with from catching gators to hunting gators. So we do it both. There's no. It's all a conservation. It's yeah. all a conservation. Like you have to hunting s- alligators is conservation. Nuisance alligator capture is conservation. Yeah, all of it. So like, there's no like, yeah. oh y'all catch gators, y'all aren't killing them, or you're killing them and not catch. It's all the same. It's all the same. Everybody. It's just like duck hunting and all that shit. That's why it's wildlife management. Wildlife management. You have a certain time where you have to hunt them. There's a certain time you need to get them right where they need to be. I have a question for you, Andrew. And this. Oh, here we go. I like this shit. <laughs> well, this Give might. It to me. A bunch of people aren't going to understand this. Okay, so in the wildlife refuges all across Southeast Texas, there is a restriction on the prop size uh, of your mud motor. I don't like this actually. I, I, you might not, <laughs> but uh, coming from no. your background, can you explain why I can't run? 11 and inch. an 11 or 11 and a half inch prop versus a nine inch prop, which I have to run according to the regulations of the refuge. <laughs> the first thing I will Does say it make is that big of a difference as someone that is very passionate about, you know, ecosystem conservation and land conservation, the federal government does some good stuff, but they're very inefficient and there's a lot of bullshit. <laughs> I, 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 I cherish our U S fish and wildlife service, uh, refuge system. They give us a lot of hunting land, but with stuff like this, the prop size, I think it's just federal overreach bullshit. I think probably they think that, you know, if they reduce the prop size, it's going to reduce the amount of, you know, erosion in the marsh. And we don't want our marshes eroded. They're already eroded enough as it is. You know, we've, we've, we've channelized a lot of our marshes and our, our wetland systems and our marsh, our marshlands are not as, as pristine as they once were and they're probably just trying to reduce impacts but probably i'm not an expert on on this particular issue but it's probably just one of those things that doesn't really matter that much they're just trying their best that's that's my best answer well it it makes a big difference on the speed of your boat if you go from say 11 plus inch prop to a nine inch prop dude it cut your speed yeah three five near in half yeah and honestly i mean it 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 for your boat, it makes on your it, boat is like ten miles per hour. Yeah, if but. if I was to go to a nine inch prop, no doubt I would run ten miles an hour. I think I think running mud boats in the marsh is already. I mean, no matter what prop size you're going to use, it's going to have an impact, but it recovers very fast. It doesn't really matter what size prop it is. But also nowadays, everybody's running surface drive, right? You know what I mean. So you're not even scratching the surface even, of the mud. You're not even deep, not the deep, channels deep you know? in the. And being yeah. tidal surged, right? Like every, the mud goes and falls with the tide, so like you might have your major lane, but you're not going to destroy that unless you run it. I, I I could see an outboard, but because you're actually digging into that. But right. like the surface drive, sometimes we never touch mud, right? Mm-hmm. Unless there's zero water, yeah. Right? So I never get. Yeah, I also don't get that. I don't know enough about it. You know, I don't know if they've done studies or, or, you know, you always hope that there's some good reason for these sorts of things. But uh, like I said, the federal, the federal government is often very inefficient when it comes to wildlife management. Um, That's not the only thing they're inefficient, right. but we'll, <laughs> I, you know, when it comes to conservation, I, I care a lot more about private entities like, like, you know, private landowners for one managing their land for wildlife or nature conservancy, Stuff or like that. Like you're saying, the King Ranch. Which King is the Ranch. They, they are one of the very biggest conservation organizations in the country. Yeah, 800,000 acres. They of, manage a lot of land for wildlife. You know? And you got to, so when you were doing that, you got to see a bunch of big whitetail, Neil Guy. Right. 
right? So big diamondback rattlesnakes. Oh, fuck and yeah. some of the biggest rattlesnakes I've seen were down there, you know, in that area. That's it's badass stuff. I've been hunting down there a few times, you know, yeah. lucky enough to do some quail hunting and dove hunting and just seeing that down there is something like other people never get to witness. Right. Well, I, will, I will tell you this, man. What a pleasure it was to to have you today on the podcast, Andrew. I've known this guy since he was – oh, we went to school together, but uh, really great guy. Really knows what he's talking about. Um, I respect him a whole lot, and, and I appreciate you joining us today, man. Oh, uh, we're for sure going to have you on in the future, too. Oh, yeah. Anytime we just need – it. it's fun to be able to bounce questions off right. of each other, especially someone that has a background of it like you. We – uh. We don't for say we just do it right. But yeah, I, I got the background, but man, my identity is still that of just just like y'all, man. Like the hunting fish. Yeah, it's the same. At it's the end just, of the day, that's what we like to do, all, man. We like the fish. outdoors. We like the outdoors, and uh, we we pursue it relentlessly. I feel like our our line is is perfect. A group of friends who share a driven passion for the outdoors. Hell yeah! I, I mean, that's, that's the perfect quote for our group. That's what it is, you know. Yeah. You know? I think that was very successful. I think that's a good first episode, and we do appreciate it, Andrew. We will be having you on again, and y'all be seeing a lot more of him with his – what was your podcast again? The Wildlife Experience. For sure. Check that out. Check out his Instagram. What's your Instagram? The Texas Naturalist. Texas Naturalist. Go check him out. Check us out. Thank y'all for all the support. Appreciate y'all for tuning in today. Appreciate y'all. We'll holler at y'all later.